This is the Squared Goal Podcast with Mark Morris and Jared Meruyama. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Squared Co. Podcast. I am your host, Mark Morris. And there he is. There he is. Giggle me, Jareds. <laughs> That's right. This <laughs> it's is been, so... It's been yeah. a long time. It's confusing at this point now. I don't even I've, know what we're doing anymore. I forget <laughs> what's happening. You know, in the actual interview portion of this episode mm-hmm. with Rob Kaz... Um, early on, I joke that I have forgotten how to do this and I hoped that would be like learning to ride a bicycle. You just jump back on into it. I don't think I ever found my groove again. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm still searching for it. So hopefully at some point I'll get back to as good as I was before, which Ooh. is also not even a, low. a really strong term. Yes. Very low. Yeah. No, it's should uh, be using. It's all confused because like the, the previous episode before this was Tommy Perez, which was fantastic. But we recorded that quite a while ago. We came back and recorded an intro like a month and a half later. Then we did a Rob's and now we're doing the intro like a week or so. Was that a week? Yes. A week later. Yeah, we did. We, the actual interview for this was last week. So. Okay. So if anything's outdated at this point when you're listening, <laughs> we apologize. Yes. So sorry. So sorry. Um, but before we do jump into the interview, we wanted to give um, a little shout out. Oh, there we go again. A little, little mm-hmm. shout out. Starting to, at, see, you're back on track. <laughs> a little shout out to our friend um, who was a guest on the podcast uh, earlier on. And he currently has a Kickstarter up. His name is Chris Ramo. And his um, Kickstarter, we will leave links to in our show notes. Mm-hmm. But it's called Silly Spooky Speedway, um, and it is um, similar to what's the show, the Hanna Barbera show, Wacky Racers. Yes, so it's like a a spooky version of Wacky Racers, um, illustrated by our friend Chris Ramo. Yes, done in his uh, signature style, and got all these different characters. Like it's a ton of characters for this one. Yes, um, there's a, a, a lot. Whereas his previous one was more, I think, a collection of his work over time. Uh, this yeah. one seems to be very uh, themed. Like it's a, it's, it's definitely a themed, and I think it's um, a storybook too. So mm-hmm. it's not just uh, illustrations. There's, it's actually um, a book. But he's got a ton of different rewards that you mm-hmm. can back, or what do you call them? Pledges. Mm-hmm. So depending on what um, level you pledge, you can get. Prints, you can get the book, obviously, um, you can get pins, you can get original illustrations. Uh, so definitely go check out the Kickstarter. If you're not already following Chris, um, go ahead and follow him as well. Um, but another thing before we jump into the, the actual <laughs> uh, interview here today. So if you follow us. You have probably seen our Instagram has just been taken over yes. by Jared Products and Jared Releases. Yes. Um, he had a successful show at Gallery 1988. Um, and now we are releasing a bunch of product from that show. 
Yeah, Jared. so we're we're focusing Squared Co is handling the sale of the APs and in some cases variants of the sold out prints. These are just the prints that sold out at the gallery show. Um, so if it's still currently available through Gallery 1988, we won't have it. And you can go to their website and uh, the the show is off the walls in, uh, in the physical space, but you can still purchase them online. So go check out and see what's left. Uh, everything else, if you see it that it's sold out there, come back to Squared Co. And we will eventually be releasing a small, a very small amount of APs and variants. But um, you can but tell not only <laughs> not only APs and variants right. of the prints. Uh, we actually are offering brand new products. Uh, we have enamel pins and sticker packs that we are releasing with featuring select characters that Jared illustrated mm -hmm. from his So Cute show. Um, and in order to stay on top of our release schedule, if you want to be the first to know about it and get in, um, get these products before they sell out, because some of them have been going pretty quickly. Yes. Um, be sure to go to squaredco.org, our website, click on the email tab and sign up for our email newsletter. Mm -hmm. We let everybody that is signed up for our email newsletter, they know about the release um, a day before and we give them a very specific time. So you'll know exactly when Jared's um, new products and prints will be available for purchase. So you can make sure you get those before they sell out. Mm -hmm. um, I know you're tastefully cute and your stick, your first sticker pack sold out really, really quick. Right. The sticker right. pack was gone within like 15 minutes, we'll say. Oh, 15 minutes. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it was basically it's, for the, the mailing list people, basically. Right. Then, so because, if you're yeah. interested in any of this stuff um, and you want to get some Jared merch, please be sure to sign up for our email list um, and you will be the first ones to know about his releases and, and uh, all future Squared Co. releases. Yes, everything. I was going to just say that. But thank you to everyone. Like so many of you have purchased pins and, and uh, we did the Kool-Aid pin release, the Q-Date, excuse me, the Q-Date <laughs> pin release. Uh, and so many of you purchased those things in prints and just thank you very much for, for doing that. Really appreciate the support. Um, so hopefully... We will get through these sales and then we can stop bugging you about buying things for a little while. <laughs> a little <laughs> while. For a little while. Yeah. Maybe. We'll see. We're, no we're always we're always um open to selling you some yeah. <laughs> some merch. <laughs> Something. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, but enough rambling. This is episode, I'm not even going to try and guess what number it is. It's in the early 50s. 52, I think. Yeah. Episode 52 with Rob Kaz. Thank you. Man, I'm, I don't even know how I'm supposed to transition out of here. Um, <laughs> here's the episode. Enjoy. <laughs> Welcome to the Squared Co. Podcast, Rob Kaz. What's going on, Rob? Hey, how you doing? I so am so I, excited. Oh, sorry, Mark. Go ahead. I got ah! too excited. See? Yeah. So <laughs> we, if you're listening to this, uh, we just had the, what episode was before this? This is so difficult mm. now. Uh, Tommy 50. Perez. Oh, yes. So okay. you might, <laughs> it might not seem like we've had a long break, but this is the probably like a six week gap since our last guest yes so i apologize rob if we are fumbling more than usual slackers uh, mm. 
This is yes. it, I'm 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 hoping this is like riding a bike and you just pick it up again, but there might be a little learning curve here in these early minutes. So bear yes, with uh, us uh listeners and more importantly Rob. <laughs> Mark might fall asleep uh, halfway through. He just that's not you. That's just he gets very tired. Uh, <laughs> so so I'll try to pick up the slack there. Uh th- the one thing I will say we will start with which we always start with for the last few episodes is our uh five questions. Okay. So uh, so this is uh just to get to know you a little bit more. We are going to I have a list of 20 questions here randomly assigned. You're going to pick uh, numbers <laughs> between 1 and 20. And you will get those questions. You can answer them in any way you want. Okay. Uh, if you, um, so uh, are you ready, Mark? I am ready. <laughs> okay. Very so, good. yes, let's do it. Okay, Rob, pick a number between 1 and 20. Uh, start with 1. 1. Tell me something in your Netflix queue. That's an easy one. Uh, right now, uh, I do. Yeah, anything you're watching in particular? You know, I'm or? binging Star Trek for like the 50th time. Like original <laughs> Oh, Next or? Generation. Sorry. Next Generation. Yeah. There's not enough to do original series. but I was going to say, how many episodes is that for Next Generation? That's got to be, that's like years. It's like eight seasons. I don't even know how many per. It's great for wasting time. Fill in the background. That's what you need. <laughs> when you're painting as yeah. an artist, uh, you just need that white noise that you don't have to pay mm. attention and look over. I made that mistake trying to watch a new movie. Yeah, Mm -hmm. not not. I was just going to ask that for me, um, like music is easy to have going on in the background and podcasts as well. But for movies, I get I'm such a big movie fan. And like, even if I'm not that interested in the movie, if I'm going to make the time to watch it, I make sure that I'm like fully invested. I think I've tried Mm -hmm. to do the work or draw or sketch while watching a movie mistake and whatever work i was trying to get done or however pro- like productive i was thought i was going to be while watching something is goes out the window yeah. almost immediately i could probably do star wars films just because i know those like original trilogy i could probably have on in the background be absolutely fine because that's like that's like music at this point but the problem with podcasts like i said before is i i find i'll go an hour and i like i haven't listened to anything that anyone said for that last hour so it's like <laughs> it's not even it's kind of pointless yeah. truth um okay all right another number between one and twenty. Two. <laughs> two. we're going right down the list here. okay this is a goofier one if you could marry or date a celebrity who would it be oh my gosh um that's a... we'll assume your current situation is not existing yeah so no I, I, I hope my <laughs> wife isn't that. listening so uh <laughs> no i um is geez. this so is this different than celebrity crush because we I think in our 50th episode, we went through this whole list and there was mm-hmm. basically those two questions. Did we update well, I think, those, Jared? No, I, I think it's because uh, you kind of want this question uh, in there to get asked because. <laughs> so you're just upping the probability here. Right. Well, crush is right. different than, you know, yeah. date or marry. That's a big, is that's it? A big difference. I think so. Yeah. I'm, I, so, I mean, when I was young, it was Alyssa Milano, but uh, <laughs> nowadays, I don't know. Who's the boss? Yeah, Sarah, Alyssa Milano. <laughs> Slightly dating myself, but yeah, that's very good. Okay, that's a good one. We'll take that. That's a she good. She still answer, looks. Yeah. She looks good. Still, she looks pretty much the same. I saw her Is at she one, one of, of the uh, Disney World. The, oh, you did. Yeah. Oh, you did. Yeah. Did she uh, buy nope. some of your work? <laughs> no, no. Oh, she, she was just passing. That by. would have been a dream for you. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I guess I, the highest person on my list is George Lucas for my works, but Alyssa Milano would have probably topped him. 
Oh my gosh. Yeah. So, <laughs> okay. Well, we'll have to, we'll Jared, have to put a pin in that, that, that comment. Uh, yeah, right there. for sure. For sure. <laughs> um, okay. Next question. Number uh, one through 20. We're going to go full on space balls. Number three. Number three. Do you have a pet? I do. I have two dogs. Two dogs. Okay. What kind of dogs are they? Um, mutts. We, we rescued them. Um, Good. One is like a Florida breed that I don't even want to describe other than she's got everything <laughs> and looks like a really muscular lab. And the other one that gets all the attention is uh, Beauregard, who, if you know my fine ah. artwork, that's where the name for the frog comes from. But uh, all right. he's a dachshund Labrador. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. And is that I can't on the, even imagine what I think that would yeah. look like. All, like on the smaller side, or does it? Big, is it a big? He's a he's kind of the size of a basset hound, which okay. what most people think he is, but he he looks full on mm-hmm. dachshund, just massive okay. dachshund. Wow, that's an interesting mix. <laughs> like I said, that's the joy of mutts. Yeah. <laughs> Have okay. you seen? The, there's oh. one. Um, another bat. Oh, I don't even. I'm not even like a mix. The, the, it's a dachshund pitbull mix and yeah. it i don't know if you've seen it online it's crazy it's like the body of a dachshund with the head of a pitbull oh that's like well i guess if you're gonna yeah yeah that's what i was gonna say i, <laughs> I couldn't tell if it was head if it was real or uh, like a photoshopped <laughs> photoshop thing or like a crazy edited video oh my gosh um, Anyways, okay. Let's go. Let's go on number four question. Number four. Are we going? Yeah. Okay, we'll go to number four. If you could live the life (laughs) of a celebrity for one day, who would it be? A lot of celebrity questions. I think George Clooney. I just watched uh, some on Netflix actually, where the uh, my next guest. uh, Uh huh. With David. David Letterman. Yeah, and it was really fun to hear about his life and. uh, I don't know. I think if I could if I could be him, that might be fun. I thought the most interesting thing on that was when Dave went to his house, his his childhood home, yeah. and talked with his family. That was really pretty, looks like a pretty down to earth group, right? Doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. I was how, surprised. How Very is proud. that show? What's the pr- the premise of that? I've seen it, um, and it, it sounds like it's much different than his normal. Oh yeah, uh, like late not formats. Yeah. What's what's some of the? How is it like a different? mini biography meets Tonight Show kind of thing? I mean, it's it's mm-hmm. he comes into it with that whole uh, you know we're just going to talk and he introduces guests to this what I would call an audience that isn't really aware of who they're going to be uh, in front mm-hmm. of, and oh, then so uh, they go cool. right into it. But then they fill it with he'll he'll go to their their childhood home or he'll go mm-hmm. and talk to some of the people in his life, like, uh, you know, uh, people from his past, people that, you know, maybe um, like with uh, uh, Obama, when they had him on, they were going to the White House moments and things like that. So they, mm-hmm. they, they do this really great editorial uh, um, interview mm-hmm. mixed in with Letterman's trademark humor. So yeah. it's, it's interesting. Yeah. The, yeah, the onstage stuff feels very much like the old show. Yeah. Like it's a little breezier than the old show and they have more time certainly to kind of like go back and forth. It's the, uh, like I said, the, the, the stuff that they film, I think ends up being the most interesting um, take for, through that whole thing. Right. Cause they go a little is bit more a, in depth and, and yeah. Is it a single guest per episode? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like so, a, is it a full hour or 30 minutes? No, I, I think it's like an hour. Yes. I would imagine it would have to be remember. an hour. It's it seems, interesting. Yeah. yeah, I don't either. Yeah. It um, went I'll fast when, I mean, I was painting while I was watching it, but uh, <laughs> yeah. it, it was pretty fascinating. I stopped a few times to look over and it was like, 
I'm interested. Yeah. The Obama one was really interesting. The Clooney's such a professional interviewer. Yeah. Like it was pretty, Hammond. pretty breezy. Yeah. yeah. Mm. <laughs> All right. Are we going to finish off with five? Please. Okay. <laughs> if you had to pick, oh, here's the tough one. If you had to pick one album to listen to for the rest of your life, what would it be? Guardians of the Galaxy. The, the first, <laughs> yeah, the soundtrack. Quick. Yeah, yeah, he knew. Okay, yeah. how how come? Is that all like a mix? Yeah, I think it's just I, I can sort of listen into it and you know feel the movie at the same time. Just uh, at this very moment, like I don't know, I, I did Marvel binge uh, yesterday, so it's kind of fresh on my mind. But uh, um, watching those films is is kind of fun. So I would say that. I mean, if you asked me last week, the answer would have been completely different. But uh, okay. So right now it's going on tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. uh, so have you seen you, all of the Marvel yeah. movies? Uh, up to date, yeah, everything except the Jessica Jones thing. I haven't done that yet. Oh, do you oh, have a favorite so the, of the yeah, it, the ones it, on Netflix or just or in just in general? Oh, I'm a yeah. Captain fan all the way. Uh, even the ones <laughs> where he's just an ancillary character, I always gravitate to him. So yeah, Mark's more the Marvel guy, I think, than I am. I, I yeah. think I dropped off a while back on some of the films, but. I was thinking about this, and I think this is surprising even to me. I think I've seen every one of the Marvel movies in the mm. theaters. Yeah, me too. I think too. I've seen every single one. Um, There's like 90, right, at this point? <laughs> There's so many. I'm really, really interested to see what happens after. So, you know, they like, was it 10 years ago, they had that Marvel like the schedule, they yeah. have the which they didn't keep, or but open, the, yeah, <laughs> yeah, they were, they were pretty close. They, there were some there were some adjustments, yeah, um, and then they added the Spider Man to that list yeah. too. So they shifted some things around, but I'm really interested to see what happens after all of those announced movies are finished. I have a a theory that I think I've shared with you before. I think they're going to do a shift from like Earth based heroes. To more like Guardians of the Galaxy, space, like more fantastic stuff. I've got a theory. Um, Whatever yeah. makes the most Let's money is the way they're going to go. <laughs> I'll go with that theory. Yeah. Probably, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, like, I don't know how it works. Maybe you guys do if you're comic book guys. Is there uh, a continuing story past this Avengers thing? Like, are they following something that's been in the books? Or is this kind of all its own world it's, now? It's loosely based on, like, plot points i'd say within the comic book world um mm. but the i know like the marvel comic <laughs> book universe exists from you know ep- issue one um which is now what like 60 70 plus years in existence so they have this big pool of storylines and plot lines that they can pull from but even within that universe there's like multiple comic book right. universes that different characters exist right and it gets really well if we pulled this back to disney's uh you could even look at uh big hero six with Mm -hmm. that whole Mm -hmm. it's not related to anything they're doing right now but that is a marvel property so then we'll just have to wait for the marvel dc movie there you go i guess that would be the ultimate (laughs) (laughs) i want to see the uh i mean as a fan of the x-men i would love to see them fold that in somehow yeah, that seems more likely, I think, right? Because with all of this 20th Century Fox stuff and, and everything. I will say, though, I did watch Justice League finally, and uh, whoa. Oh, gosh. No. Just. I tried. We'll save that for our. Uh, That's a whole nother episode. For our, but our recap. Mustache. Episode. But yeah. Do you think it's possible to add 
X-Men into this Marvel Cinematic Universe I, because maybe as a there's cameo. some crossover like uh, Thanos and Cable are both Josh Brolin. So how would that uh, work? Uh, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, personally, I wouldn't want to <laughs> see it as a full on mashup. I mean, talk about like way too many characters in one movie, but uh Mm. I, I could see cameos and crossovers and all that kind of stuff. That's the one thing I'm pretty hesitant about for this next Avengers is that there's, I think they've already announced like 70 plus characters are going, Jeez. are confirmed to be in this movie. Like how do you, how do you get that many characters screen time and it still be a strong film? Like it's, The first hour is a roll call. Yeah. I think, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I'm, they're sure they're going to just be running in the group scene or something, right? Like, yeah, they probably won't even be, cast a famous person yet. It'll just be a costume oh, that so, flies I, by. I'd hope they concentrate <laughs> on the story with Thanos' daughters, you know, all that fun stuff. But then on the flip side, you have who's got the Infinity Stones and all that stuff. So I, hopefully mm-hmm. they stick to story and just pepper in the characters rather than focusing on each major box office drawing team right. or person or whatever i, I never like those movies but uh, we'll see mm-hmm. i guess we'll see you know and if they make another yeah. one i'll I mean, go I'm see definitely that going to see it. yeah <laughs> yeah everybody will i think yeah uh okay so that's the questions part um i think we spent enough time on marvel because right. i do there's so much <laughs> there's so much to talk about here because you've done work with so many huge properties like the biggest properties that are out there um and you're doing this on your own this is your your business this is what you do yep. to make money so the first and most obvious question i want to get out of the way up front is uh why criminal justice <laughs> when <laughs> I, I think if if you really get to know me and forgive if this sounds so like ostentatious like i'm just talking about myself but obviously you want to know and i have to tell you yes uh, but right. i okay. i i like to help people i like to do nice things i like to be captain america bringing that around again so mm, for me okay. it's it's so much of a, a innate in my blood to try to do the right thing try to be a boy scout and, uh, you know, really, really take the time to try to make the world a better place that criminal justice just called to me. It was just something where, you know, I, that's my personality. What better way than in law enforcement or something mm. hinged to that, like uh, victim's advocacy was, was something that uh, I almost interned with. But uh, I ended up interning with the United States Postal Inspection Service and I was going to be a federal agent. And... Uh, that that was my life track. So why? Mm-hmm. I think it's because it's just my personality. Uh, yeah, art was really so, something I had to convince myself that I could do this and not feel completely guilty. Right. So for people, if you don't know what, what I'm referring to, there is he, Rob's degree <laughs> yeah. in college was in criminal justice, and uh, there's a there's a whole story there about how he got into art. But I do want to ask. Uh, we won't go through your whole biography because I think you've you've done it very well in other places. But I do want to ask sort of what was your attitude then towards art uh, as you were doing a criminal justice degree? Did you reach a point in your youth where you said, I like art, but it's a hobby, it's not a career, and so that's the other way? Or was it more equally between criminal justice and, and art? Art was just something that I could do. I would call it a hobby at best. It, it wasn't even hmm. really something that I was like, you know what, I'm going to dedicate an hour a day to drawing. It was something where when I was bored in a criminal justice class, learning about criminal law or whatever, I would draw on the margins. That's just what mm-hmm. I did. It, it was something innate. And 
when I had a break, sometimes I would go out and sketch something in the hallway or uh, really, you know, play around with Photoshop when I was at home. Uh, but it was never something that even put conscious thought into. It, it was not even a consideration. And, and I think the, the farthest it ever went was somebody saying, oh, you'd make a good police sketch artist. <laughs> that was literally the farthest thought. So, so yeah. from there, uh, you know, the, the, the career change was something more of a, a, a surprise uh, because it was something I didn't even think you could do for a living. Mm-hmm. Still don't. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this is actually a similar story for Mark as well, who who uh, went to school for something different, but then finds himself <laughs> in the, in this thing. Um, so I wonder if you can elaborate a little bit on that thing. So in the the story that I heard you tell was that um, someone was looking at your parents' house, yeah. right? Like they were they were in the process of selling their house. Someone comes in, notices your work on the wall, and and sort of out of the blue uh, shows interest and offers you a job. Correct. Uh, so you go to work oh for this. Gosh, that's small, amazing story. Yeah, it is, and I'm not telling it well. But uh, just to get to the to the cut to the chase here, was it really that direct? Did you just like get that job and now you're on the path to art, or did you think this would be just a sidetrack until you got back to criminal justice? Yeah, that that's deep introspection there. Um, basically, after I got that first gig, which was a color key on a very small digital animated film. Um, mm-hmm. And I was working in Photoshop, uh, just, you know, at that time, stylus pads were just coming out, so I didn't even have one of those. I was mousing everything. And mm-hmm. uh, really, it came down to when my contract ended, like, they didn't need any more color keys. I had done them all. And I had a coming <laughs> come to Jesus moment where I was like, well, what do I want to do for a living? Because I really enjoyed that. And yeah. uh, the job prospects for criminal justice were what led to me working in animation. It's just I couldn't find anything I wanted to do right off the bat. You know, coming out sure. of coming out of college, I mean, it's like you, you, there's not a whole lot you can do other than go to police academy or maybe work in a prison or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so for me, it was that prospect or doing something that brought so much joy that I didn't even know existed three months before. And mm-hmm. and I think it was just one of those things where. You know, at the time, it didn't seem like a really big decision, but really, I changed the complete direction of my life in one moment where I said, you know what, I'm going to try and do this. I'm going to try to be an artist at a studio. And mm-hmm. lucky for me, they, they brought me back uh, as, a, as a lighting uh, lead, art lead, I guess. Uh, there was Art and scene director is what they called me, but uh, I was working with the lighting guys to direct them on which way to go. Were your parents at all concerned that art was now going to be your your route as opposed to oh, a very, you know yeah. a different track? Yeah. Well, like any good mother, my mom says to me, "What are you doing? You're an idiot. You'll have health. Ins- you won't have health insurance. You won't have permanent income." This is uh, luckily for me, I yeah. didn't listen too much. Just like uh, don't play video games; it'll fry your brain. Uh, <laughs> So uh, I kind of want to uh, just drill down a little bit more sure. on that, though. Was was there a moment then during that animation stint where where you actually decided that this is what you were going to do, or or was it? Did it, was, it take a lot longer to you know solidify. No, I, I had a I had a moment. I was staying late one night, and uh, a, a gentleman there named Heath Hollingshead, really nice guy. I think he works at Blue Sky now. But he hmm. um, he was sitting there, and he was helping me out try to learn Nerbs and Maya. And uh, I kind of was sitting there. I'm like, I love this. You know, like, I really love this. And in my head, I'm going, if only I could do this for a living. And then it kind of dawned on me like, hey, I can. So 
you know, it, it wasn't like I, I thought it would be easy. Actually, I knew it was going to be very hard because, you know, mm-hmm. in Orlando especially, the film industry is not big. So especially digital animated Disney-style stuff. Um, right. But right. Uh, in the end, uh, I looked at it like just a, a goal. Just like nowadays mm-hmm. when you set goals, you know, I, I have goals now. It's important to have them. And back then it was to try to solidify my career in art. So you say a career in art. What At that time... What did that mean to you? Like maybe studio with the studio? Yeah. Okay. Definitely studio. Uh, I think after I moved over to another studio, uh, which is another huge long story. Um, <laughs> but uh, I moved over to another studio and became the art director there. And uh, I, I, I think I realized the scope of the animated world. And at that point, my goal was to work at a, at a high-end studio, Pixar, if not Pixar, something like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and doing what precisely like character design or background stuff or you, you know development? I I would describe myself as a uh, a handyman kind of artist where I don't feel anything is below me or above me uh, I I want to do it all I mean if you look at my work now I'm trying sculpture I I, I do I mean I'm still animating uh, just for fun though uh, uh-huh. and 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 then there's the digital side and then all my artwork is hand painted uh, unlike you know, a lot of people you see out there, everything I do that you see on the walls of these places that's not a reproduction is by my hand, nothing else. So right, right. For me, it's 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 just not, fun to, not to like dabble. Not like Jared. <laughs> Jared just using his mouse, pointing and clicking. Yeah, I love Illustrator too. I know how much fun the, the, different, arrow, the different arrows and all that, A versus V. Oh. <laughs> so, so you went to school for criminal um, justice. Yeah. Did you ever have formal art school training Never. or any formal instruction? Nope. So this is all self-taught? Yeah. I mean, re- really, when we talk about that first studio I worked at, there were a number of people who definitely were very helpful. You know, when you're working in Maya and someone goes, hey, your caps lock key is on, they just saved your life. Uh, <laughs> and so having those kind of people around me really helped. And uh, so I learned Photoshop at home, Illustrator, After Effects, Maya, Mudbox, ZBrush, you name it. I, I, I love learning new things. And, you know, today it's Google Hangout. Tomorrow, what? who knows? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All the tough stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so did you like working for a studio? I mean, there is some, you know, you got sort of a regular nine to five and yeah. benefits and things like that. But did you, did you enjoy that situation? Generally speaking, I loved working in a studio, the collaborative mm-hmm. environment, being around people that are, I'll always say more talented than I ever can hope to be, because keep in mind that first studio I worked at, I was the only non Disney talent in it. Everyone oh. had come from the studio. Uh, so, so sitting around them and learning was like, kind of like being around, you know, being a Disney, just the halls of Disney, right. being a fly on the wall. So, so for me, uh, I'll always go back to that. Um, what were you guys working on? Can I? Can you say? I mean, I can say. Or? I'd rather not. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> like I said, this is the long story. We had made this film. It's called Tugger, mm. the Jeep Who Wanted to Fly, and it was meant to be a direct-to-DVD <laughs> thing. Uh, the story was <laughs> written by a Disney story guy. It was being directed by a former Disney guy, but um, in the end, uh, it kind of got hijacked by producers in all the wrong Mm. ways where they were going, hey, this is really good. We can make more money. Let's take all the footage with all the the dubbing and everything that we've already done, the mouth syncing, and we'll just throw Jim Belushi in there. And he could just 
he'll just do whatever he does. And Jim Blusa also <laughs> also wants to do his own song. So then uh, a, a movie in the, or a song in the movie then goes from a sad song to a hey I'm gonna fly all to Jim Belushi's band, and it just destroyed the film. And and I remember the, the first few cuts that I saw the thing with the non SAG voice talent. I literally cried because it was so good. Yeah. And then by the end, I'm like, oh, this is terrible. So yeah. you know, it, heartbreaking. Yeah. So so when I say I, I love working in animation, it's generally speaking, there were those moments. Mm-hmm. But in all things, there are those moments. Uh, you know. Right. So I do. Right. I want to get to your current work. So I'm going to kind of rush rushes through this part here. Uh, and again, I'll, I'll leave links to your site and everything where people can read yep. more about your story. Kind of skipping it, over you, EA there, but yeah. <laughs> well, I was. That's what I was going to say next because you okay. have this good job at EA, and it's it's almost. Uh, it's almost too comfortable uh, where are, are you doing um, freelance uh, on the side at this point while you're working at EA or I, how did that work for you? I have never heard someone call EA stable before. Okay. <laughs> it's, well, just, yeah. <laughs> it's one of those jobs where like the ax man is behind you at every moment of the day. I, I witnessed mm. hundreds of people being laid off over the years I was there. And it, it, it that's what really guided me to want to do what I do now was just mm-hmm. over the years working at, uh, Electronic Arts was a massive studio. I mean, massive yep. to the point where I'm like, I'm in a cubicle all day. There's HR meetings. Uh, you know, I have four, it's office space in an art studio. <laughs> mm-hmm. I sure. swear, I swear. Yes. I had four yeah. managers, you know, you have your, yeah. your, your, yeah. your, your creative leads, you have your GP reports. HR. Yeah, really. Did you get the memo? Um, <laughs> no, there, there was so many of those moments and it was just like, this isn't art to me anymore. This is almost like I'm a software engineer sitting in a cubicle mm-hmm. all day, you know, hearing people, you know, have fights and stuff. But that's just, I, I'm fixating and I, I try not to do this on the negative because really sure. at the same time, I was so lucky to work at a studio that had me on for like nine months out of year. And mm-hmm. the other three months, which just happened to be the best three months to do art festivals, I had off. So that's where the transition took place is I realized when I got at EA that, well, about about a year and a half into EA, I was like, you know what, maybe I don't want to be in a giant studio for the rest of my life. Like Mm -hmm. the whole idea of Pixar or Disney or whatever just suddenly became this real thing where I'm working at a massive studio and I don't really want to be there. Like, I love the work. I love the people. Didn't so much love the managers. A couple of them were nice. But in the end, I was doing something that did not bring me happiness, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, I, I was on Madden football, NCAA football. The, the real fun was in collaboration for me, it was in creation of, of, of new things. And for the most part, I was feeding the hopper, uh, yeah. you know, putting in yeah. new heads or new parts or uniforms or, or what have you. And, and. You know, while I know it's a goal of a great many people to work at a video game studio of that caliber, I don't take that lightly. I just mm-hmm. knew that my I couldn't do it for the rest of my life. I couldn't. It would have yeah. gone nuts. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when I walked out, I had a number of guys going, you're an idiot. What are you doing? Yeah. You make this much money. You do that. I mean, you can go home at 5 o'clock because you're fast and this and that. <laughs> and I'm just like, yeah, but... You know, I'm I'm in my 30s. This is the one time in my life that I could take it a, a a leap of faith and try to do something that really I do love. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, at the same time, 
with those, I'll call them naysayers, there were other people who came up to me and they said, I really admire what you're doing because I really want to do that too. Sure. I just don't have the guts. I have too much right. to risk. I have a family. I have, I've been here for 10 years. I, I, you know, and, and I feel for them at the same time. It's like, sorry, man, I got to do this. I think that's what I mean by cushy job is that you, you ended up walking away from them, mm. um, not the other way around. Yeah. You had that choice. Would you say that, that because it was such a negative experience towards the end there, that that fueled your... Your, what you the were negativity, doing yeah, on your own? yeah. The negativity definitely came with the layoffs. Um, hearing people mm-hmm. sobbing going down the aisles with their their carts oh, in a geez. box, and uh, you know yes. that, that that's never fun. And you know, to me, I didn't want to be that person. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of people are motivated by ego. I'm motivated by failure. <laughs> so it's right. it's very <laughs> much trying my best to stay ahead of the game. And I think at that moment, I was just like, you know what? I'm going to do this. I'm going to take a chance. And the worst case scenario is I go back. Because they, right. they kept asking. Even years later, they kept calling. Hey, you want to come back? I'm sure. What were you uh, What were you painting at this time while there was the crossover with EA? What, you, what kinds of things I were really you I really wasn't, to be honest with you. Uh, um, oh, you weren't? Oh, I mean, okay. well, oh, the crossover, yeah. So like the last year or so I was there, I had I started doing uh, farmer's markets of all things. Uh, just, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't know what to do. No, There is no template for becoming a, a, a fine artist. I mean, you just kind of get out there. Uh, I suppose, you know, you could become a Disney animator and then moonlight at Comic-Con or something like that, but I don't have that luxury. But uh, in the end, I, uh, I, I certainly cut my teeth in all the right ways because it trained me to, to really operate on a lean level. Um, mm-hmm. when, when I left EA to go into fine art, I was painting landscapes and all this kind of stuff, and I thought I knew what to do. People were liking it. But then that was, I think, Right when the recession happened, 2008. Like eight? Like, yeah. Yeah, October 2008. Um, mm-hmm. That was the month I left EA for good. <laughs> I know, right? Perfect. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Hey. Um, <laughs> and I remember going to my first art festival with all the cockiness I had never should have had. <laughs> and like, well, what happens if I sell everything? What am I going to do on the last day? Like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, I think back now, I'm like, you're a freaking idiot. Um, but, uh, but, uh, I actually learned a very valuable lesson that day and many after that, uh, mm-hmm. you know, not everything is about, uh, money. Not everything is, uh, stuff you should really worry about in the long run. You know, you can have a bad yeah. day, you can have a zero show, but don't look at the one, look at the year, you know, look down yeah. the road. Yes. Uh, because in the end, you'll just get seasick if you start looking at your feet and, and where you're at. I think you absolutely, I think you have to have bad days. I think oh, yeah. your good days don't mean nearly as much if you don't have horrible, terrible, embarrassing days. <laughs> um, <think> that's what. <laughs> so, but the, the, I think the point uh, that most people would be curious about for you is, is what did you do to prepare to make that decision to go freelance, to leave this job and go freelance? Because that's a big scary thing yeah. and you can say as much as you want like was it a financial thing like if i save up this much money i'll be able to do this or was it more of a well, money always helps. do it <laughs> yeah so I for mean, you what did you like what was your thought process like i'm going to do this yeah for me there was this whole ramp up of i'm going to assemble a whole body of works and for me mm-hmm. I, I i thought i was going to be a festival artist because i i had talked to a couple people at festivals and they mm-hmm. told me that you know you make good money and you know, expect to make this much, and they were all liars. 
Um, <laughs> but I thought it was great advice and I'm listening. But, uh, you know, if I was to give advice without going through the stories of what I went through, uh, you know, definitely save up a good amount of money. And, and as much as you save, you'll probably need more. But the, the whole sure. point is that you're going to be, you're going to be presented with a set of challenges that will make you want to stop, make you want to go back to whatever you're doing because it will scare the hell out of you that, that you don't have what it takes. You're, you're, you're going to hit that, that wall of I'm running out of money. And mm-hmm. uh, the, the thing that sets most of the people apart that I know in fine art and the people who either go back to their old jobs or just never really make it are the ones that commit and say, you know, no matter what happens, I'm going to do this. I am a fine artist. Mm-hmm. I might bartend on weekends, or you know, but that's what I'm doing to get to this. And you, the struggle is there. And and I think for me, just trying to do the best work of my life, having saved a good amount of money, and in the end, you know, just focusing on the long game really helped me out. And and obviously there there were a lot of downs, um, and those will be lessons that will be specific to anyone who's maybe listening. You know, obviously mm-hmm. my mine. A recession happened. I mean, that's hopefully not going to happen to anyone who might try to get into fine art today. <laughs> right. God willing, that doesn't happen. But yeah. uh, that yeah. that really was a great lesson for me. Uh, I know I said I wasn't going to do examples, but basically, I learned how to be a, a sole business proprietor at a time mm-hmm. when people weren't doing that. I mean, you just couldn't yes. make it. Right. And, and and in the end, I think uh, I was <clears throat> I was better off for it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it's a, so one of the things though, that that leads us to is uh, w- one of the most interesting things when I was reading through your story uh, before this was sort of the um, definition of fine art. And you talk about this uh, in sort of a pivotal way with your career. And, and I don't know if this falls in this time frame here, but uh, sort of defining what fine art is, right. uh, for you and and for the world, was this something that you were self conscious of uh, sure. before you sort of make the switch to doing sort of uh, fine art animation, like fine art animation or something like that? Yeah. Um, what like what was that struggle for you, and how did you get to that point where you sort of decided to do what you do? The struggle definitely was very early when I'm trying to do what people were telling me to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, lighthouses sell. Uh, wildlife cells. <laughs> this is Florida, so pain a manatee. They'll love it. Don't right. don't listen to any of that. I mean, some of it might be sound advice, but you never know what's right for you as an artist. <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but anyway, um, basically, when I decided I was having enough of the grind, doing things I didn't like to paint, or I wouldn't say I didn't like it. It just it it wasn't what I had grown into as an artist. So I, mm-hmm. I, I, at that point I was a, I was just leaving character. Ar- I was a character artist and I was just leaving right. that. So doing landscapes and things was just kind of la di da. And when I <laughs> came back to the sketches I were, I was just doing for fun was just frogs and gators and little ducks and things like that. And, you know, anthropomorphizing a little bit, you know, tweaking mm-hmm. them here and there, giving them a smile uh, when I started painting that, I didn't think anyone was going to take me seriously. The sales started to happen immediately, which was the, really the whole thing. Like, I enjoy this. People are buying. I'm going to do this. But, you know, when you show up at an art show and they kind of jury you out, they'll walk by your booth, look in and be like, oh, pff, not serious. 
and keep going. And and I hear them say this because I'm standing outside the booth and it's just like, oh, look at this junk, you know. And and I would hope that they would look past the big eyes or the the smiles or or what have you, and look at you know use of color or composition or or the brushwork, mm-hmm. just getting into sure. the nitty gritty of what makes an oil painter a good oil painter. Uh, you know that that's something I would hope. But you know, time after time, you know, and, and I really don't know how I feel about this in words, but I'll try to just say that. There's definitely a divide in fine art between the people who take it very seriously and the people who enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe not. Maybe, maybe that's not the the fifty fifty. But it's just, you know, you go to like MoMA and there's some things there that I don't understand. And to mm-hmm. to me, that's kind of a curse word in art. It's like I don't understand this graph paper right. with line. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, and 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 I'm I'm being very serious about that. Um, and yeah. <laughs> uh, so for me, you know, being treated as sort of like a, you know, cartoonist in oil paint right. really hurt in a lot of ways. But, um, you know, the only opinion that really mattered at the end of the day to me was mine and the, uh, the dollar bill. But, uh, right. you know, for, you know <laughs> for the most part, I was just enjoying it, you know. I, yeah. I, I really enjoyed it. But, yeah, there's definitely, is that fine art? I, I really wasn't trying to define it at the time, but at, you know, looking back, it's like I, I don't know. I don't. I don't care. Yeah. I mean, right. it, It's in a gallery. People frame it. I guess that's fine art. You know. Well, we. It seems like nowadays it, the either the lines are blurred or people don't care. Uh, there, there is certainly a faction that does. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. I, I don't mean to say that that doesn't exist, but it seems to be. I don't know. What did you? What did you do? Did you change the shows that you were selling at? Did it did it affect what you were doing once you made this decision to like I'm just going to do this thing I love and what I'm good at? And did you did you alter your course in any way because of that decision? I wouldn't say I consciously altered anything. It sort of snowballed in some ways. You know, like when I like I always I always remember this story. Uh, an art dir- art uh, director told me one time. He, he's like. Uh, he he ran a Wyland and he's like, I get people mm-hmm. nonstop sending me pictures of their their really good paintings of sea life, and he goes, I, mm-hmm. I I literally cannot sell that stuff because it competes with the namesake, and so I'm looking for <laughs> things that are unique and different and that you have not found before, and and he goes, that's what I think you are. So uh, they didn't have any space at that gallery, but uh, in the end, yeah. it uh, it was a it was a good defining moment of don't do what everyone else is doing because you're just one of many who does that Mm -hmm. Uh, or or at least be the originator of something. So we'll move off of this in a bit here, but I I, want to get one more thing out of you on this is what would you advise people then to do? Because I think it's a difficult lesson to learn without going through something similar to what, to what you did, because I think we all start off doing what we think either what we think in our head will sell or what people are expecting of us or what is important or, or weighty or something. But what advice do you give to someone who's starting out now? Like, do they, should they go through that process and then find their voice or should they start off right out the gate doing their voice? It's so tough to tell, but you can never go wrong when you're true to yourself. I mean, if you're doing something you enjoy and you love, you will never really have a problem with identity. And Mm -hmm. I I know a few artists that struggle with identity because they're doing things that aren't them, but they do them because they have careers doing them. 
And, and mm-hmm. uh, for me, I don't have that problem. I love, I, I mean, I'm like Johnny Five, just bring it on. You know, what's next? <laughs> and right. uh, again, I'm dating myself. But um, <laughs> the, the, uh, the whole idea is that uh, you, know, you do it because you love it. And you can't mm-hmm. do it any other way because, uh, well, you could, but uh, right. you know, I, I, I would say, you know, if you can find it, find it, you know, be yourself, be, yeah. be something the world's never seen before and contribute to, to this beautiful culture of art. But Very that's, nice. that's easy to say. And I'll take that back. Right. I'll march <laughs> that back to step. It's easy to say when, you know, I'm at the position I'm at and very lucky to be in because I can, I can say that and be like, yeah, winning the lottery is easy. You just go play the lottery. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. That, yeah, that's, dude, that's true. Yeah. Do it like I did it. Just go down to the Seven Eleven and buy a ticket. You started uh, when you were doing these paintings. Um, did you start with Beauregard and those characters, or was that uh, after the Disney stuff and things? Yeah, that that came much later. That actually came the, the the frog character and all his little companions came when I had left EA. It was it was oh, literally okay. something that had happened to me on my lunch break, uh, where a frog stuck to my window and it stuck with me, and I sketched him quite a bit later on. But, uh, uh-huh. you know, truth is stranger than fiction sometimes. But um, when I started painting him, it wasn't so much a conscious decision to start doing painterly animation or whatever you want to call it, illustrative, romanticized, uh-huh. impressionistic. Blah, blah, blah. Um, but uh, <laughs> for me, it was just kind of a, a, an organic process um, mm-hmm. where I, I, I love doing environments. And, you know, I thought a pretty picture just isn't good enough anymore. I want to make something tell a story. So when, right. when I added the right. frog, it's like, well, what's the frog doing? Well, maybe he's looking at his reflection. Keep it simple. Or maybe he's mm-hmm. chasing a little ladybug. And from there, it expanded to, well, now he's meeting a duck or now he's meeting a gator or a koi fish or whatever. And, it, you know, just trying to figure out how many stories you can come up with with this little macro universe. Eventually, as galleries and art consultants and uh, fans and, and my wife, <laughs> everyone started going, well, what's his name? I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's just a frog character. <laughs> like, well, he needs a name. Yeah. And and right. all right, his name's Beauregard because he looks his eyes look like my dog. And and yeah, the the duck came about. And the original painting I ever did was just labeled duck because I'm like, it's just <laughs> it's the image. It's not the name. But these kinds of things in fine art really go a long way to create a little culture or a little backstory. You know, like yeah, like with Star Wars, people read the books. Because they want to know mm-hmm. more. So with fine Expanded art. Expanded universe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> people want to know what the name of that character is. And, and so I've kind of learned to step out of my comfort zone a little bit and, and try to really delve into the world of, of marketing and uh, self-promotion, which I am. Luckily, I have my wife because I'm really not that into it. I, I, I would mm. rather be that shadow in the back of the room than being on stage with the bright light on me. I, I, my favorite thing is to go and be anonymous at galleries I'm in and just listen to what people say about it. Yeah. Hopefully they yeah. like it, but well, you know, that's Jared's nightmare. Yeah. Well, I mean, th- there's the fascination, but then it is a bit of a, you know, it can go either way, right? Like it can be <laughs> just a nightmare. But at least, um, at least they're honest, you know, that's right. You get the honest response. I think uh, again, terrifying. Um, so I, I do want to get to the Disney stuff uh, because that's a that's a big part of what you do, um, and I'm interested to hear because you just said that that you like to be sort of a 
you know, hidden in the gallery. But then you do a lot of these Disney shows where you are right up front and you are painting and you've got a crowd around you. So, uh, but first, let me, let me ask you, how did you, how did you start working with Disney? I know you've done this really fantastic article about how to become a Disney artist, which I think, I think I'm going to use from now on and just send the link to that because... (laughs) You do it perfectly, and it's it's a nice way. Well, I it's that. a lot of work. Yeah, yeah. But for you, what made you think I'm going to go and try to get a Disney license? Well, honestly, I never really thought about it. Again, it mm-hmm. was something that happened to me. I, I was uh, in a few galleries, and mainly on cruise ships, uh, not like in residence, but rather uh, the arc auction companies would sell your work, and they sell a lot of volume, and then I did quite well. Um, my main one was Royal Caribbean, and on that ship was also the Disney Fine Art people uh, mm. with a few of their artists. And you know when, well, maybe maybe the people out here listening don't know, but at a certain level in fine art, everybody knows everybody, uh, mm-hmm. or they've at least heard heard of this person or, or whatnot. It's very strange not to know about someone. And so right. I think I got on some radars, and the next thing I know, I'm being asked by my publisher if I would be curious in doing Disney fine art. I'm like, you know what? Okay, that sounds like fun. I think it would work. <laughs> you know, like I'm a big Disney fan, and you know, frankly, uh, one of my favorite artists is a is a big Disney background artist, and you know, it's just it just felt natural, and I got I got signed to a, a contract, and uh, you know, from there I haven't stopped. Uh, and uh, obviously, there's other things that happened too with uh, Star Wars and Warner Brothers, and lately Peanuts. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, with with Disney, yeah, every one of them, they've come to me, and I've been so lucky to be able to say that. But there, there was no application, as far as I know, not on my end. I never filled out a, a bio and did all that and said, "Please take me." Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> So when you say uh, your publisher contacted you about doing work for Disney, is that, I, I don't even know how this works as far as okay. with, the, with the fine art world, but um, is that like representation for you or, yeah. or how does that work? Uh, basically, the the fine art world in galleries works way different than what you see in Disney. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. w- dealing with uh, the entities of, of the, the Walt Disney Studios and their subsidiaries Licensing art in general works vastly different than a fine art gallery world, uh, mm-hmm. and there is some condescension, believe it or not, when I when I've been doing this about being licensed. Uh, I, I encounter this in Key West a lot, where you know you do these shows, these mass shows with uh, all. Uh, um, where I would be the only artist in the gallery, but there would be other galleries doing shows with artists as well, and they come over and they're like, "Oh, you're you're doing that Disney thing." How's that going? You know, you're painting the critters and how, you know Mickey Mouse. Can can you make him like kissing Minnie and naked? I'm like, oh jeez. Yeah. And, and uh, right. not that I was ever embarrassed by it, but it's definitely it, it illustrated to me the divide between the fine art world and licensing world. Sure. Um, but uh, with licensing, getting back to your question, basically galleries have a number of artists, and some of them produce their own works and act as their business. Uh, and then there are guys like me, uh, uh, guys and girls, sorry. Um, I'm from Jersey. Everybody's a guy. Um, <laughs> but uh, the, there's the, the, the people like me that are, uh, uh, you know, I want to paint for a living. I don't want to frame yeah. and 
operate a LLC for a living. I want to, I want to <laughs> paint. So right. having a publisher to, to produce your works and do sales and, and deal with galleries and how much they need and reproductions and uh, how much canvas on a roll is going for these days that I, I leave that to inter- more interested parties and people who are very, very good at what they do. So would you say, because we don't have to get into the specifics, obviously, for you, but for someone who's looking to do what you're what you're doing, is um, a publisher or representation of some sort necessary? Is it like you cannot do what you're doing without it? I would say it's necessary. It's a different kind of thing. And I had a conversation with someone at an art stroll I used to do where they were kind of scoffing at the numbers I was throwing out because basically these people have to make a living representing you. So they make a percentage right. of what you do, just like Disney makes a percentage uh, right. of any other right. contract, sorry. Um, but <laughs> basically, uh, when you deal with a publisher, you're, you're kind of trying to um, use a shotgun approach to your income, where mm-hmm. you have reproductions over here, originals over there, maybe some royalties over there, and you, know, you pull them all together, uh, and that creates probably you know a similar income than if you did everything yourself and traveled Florida doing festivals. Right. Um, uh, right. But that being said, your network of people you're going to come across doing Disney artwork in Epcot is greatly bigger than what you would do at, you know, I'm going to make fun of myself, the Ocala Festival in Florida. Uh, mm-hmm. love, love that town. That's where Bo first came out. But uh, I use it as an example of... of uh, the other side where where you, right. you're, you're going to meet like maybe a thousand people there but at epcot i think during the art festival we had like eighty thousand one day i mean it's just nuts mm-hmm. so the, mm-hmm. the, you can look at it two different ways but basically one approach is is more commercial in nature and the other is you know very intimate i want to talk about your kickstarter in a bit here we'll finish with that but before we get there i do want to mention that you you have this massive body of work so you've mentioned already so we've We've mentioned Disney, uh, your own line of characters that you do. You do Star Wars, Peanuts, Warner Brothers. You're doing a lot of this stuff. And we'll leave links to your site there so people can see it. But you turn out a massive amount of work, which is just amazing to me. Um, and it's one of the things I greatly admire is you is you're constantly hustling. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like <laughs> so I said, I'm fearful like of failure. Yeah. Yeah. But, but almost fearful of staying in one place too long. Like you're, 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 yeah. you're churning out these paintings, you're doing these festivals and these gallery appearances and things like that. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that before we go to the Kickstarter. Like how important do you think is it to be, to hustle the way that you do for a, someone who's going to go into the fine art world like you do, where you have to. Yeah. produce yeah you can't just work ethic is a strange thing in the art world uh, mm-hmm. and and uh, especially in the studio there was a couple of different things i met i'll try to distill it down to two people within the art guys because obviously engineers sure. and you know interns and all of them are different different animal but there was the the beret wearing mustache twirling i'm i am an artist and then yes. there were the other guys who were like this is a good paying job i like right. i like this job i'm gonna make art you know like and I'll call them blue collar artists. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I definitely identify with the latter of those two. But uh, every now and again, I have the previous. Um, but both get the similar amount of work done. And, and it's just whoever's style you, you, you mesh with. Um, but for me, it's almost like 
I'm behind the eight ball all the time. Like, like I have this desire to make everybody happy. All my gallery partners, I want to do more. Like if a Disney exec comes up to me, I'm like, what more can I do for you? Even though I'm completely swamped. I just, right. I say it because the more you say it, the more true it becomes, you know, I, mm-hmm. um, and, and I'm always looking for opportunities and I try uh, never to say no. I always try to say yes, even if I don't want to. And that, you, you touched on this earlier, is doing shows and having crowds and all this. I'm an introvert. I, I do not mm-hmm. want to be around people. I mean, uh, like if I get to know people and I like them, I don't mind being around you. But if, if it's a crowd, if it's a faceless mass, I, I can't do that for very long. So, uh-huh. so when, when I do these Disney shows, I am literally just putting myself aside and saying, you work now and good things will come. I mean, the harder you work, the, the better it'll be, the... the I mean, all these different cliche things, it's just hard work pays off. It really does. Uh, and in the yeah. art world, it's no different. Uh, and, and some of the artists I work with may not have been some of the best artists, myself included, but I think all of us were very, very hard workers and showed up on time mm-hmm. and didn't do drugs. And I sound like a PSA, but Captain America, <laughs> you know? Uh, Stay in school, kid. Yeah. But in the end, it's, it's all very true is you have, to, you have to be honest that, you know, there is no magic getting first a button you have to work to get there and and so many people when they're like i want to be a disney artist i'm like great what are you doing now nothing yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know how do i become one draw i want to be an yeah. animator what do i do animate <laughs> you know just do yes i agree completely and i think you know it's and some people play into that magic aspect of art yeah. which which is fine i think a lot of people like from the the other side are attracted to that part of it that it's very painterly and look at these strokes i'm making and but i i think like you said it does come down a lot of times to how much you hustle how much you work uh i mean it depends on what your goal is ultimately sure if you're in a position where you can do one painting a year and and be fine well all the more power to you but i think i i (laughs) tend to fall more on on your side of things with the with the work um so there's a million other questions i'd love to ask about your work but i do want to get to your to the to the kickstarter thing now speaking of your huge massive body of work (laughs) well i i put together a kickstarter uh last year that i didn't think was going to work i i I set a very low goal and i was going to make an art of book an art of book i i didn't dream that i would i think it was like three grand or thirty five hundred um but it ended up doing like close to 30,000 and and yes. it was it was an amazing wow. reception and I, I am so thankful to everyone who participated and supported uh and we sold out like very very shortly thereafter and I saved some for Epcot and they sold out mm-hmm. and and it was just a great reception so I started a, another kickstarter for the uh a second printing so we'll, we'll see how that goes but uh want to shamelessly plug that just to make sure it does happen <laughs> uh so w- yes, wonder if you could oh go ahead mark we'll we'll leave links to that like we said in the show notes um at the top of this episode or this interview actually i said that it might be a little rusty so i, I fell off um for a while there it was just a, a two-way conversation with jared and we're Rob. very busy we were so busy I, <laughs> i'm back and i'm going to try and ask some more questions about the kickstarter here yeah um but even so you, you decided to do an art of book before the Kickstarter. How much planning went into the like the design of the book and the idea? Right. What and the concepting and everything? What made you want to do the art of book? And 
what did you have to do to prepare what this art of book would look like? Well, I talk about goals a lot, and one of my goals is to be a Caldecott Award winner. It's a lofty mm. goal, but I want to do it. And yeah. uh, so that, you need to have a children's book. And to have a children's book, you have to know how to make a book. And to make a book, you have to do all those things you just talked about, planning and concepting and all that stuff. So <laughs> we, we kind of went into it. My wife and I, we teamed up on this heavily where she's an amazing writer and a really good planner and and i have some other talents but um in the end we just decided to do it and we sourced who could print we we kind of just mocked up what size we wanted and we found a, a, a printer and we uh i learned adobe indesign <laughs> and uh <laughs> yeah uh, but uh in the end um i have i i literally scan every piece of work i do uh, with mm. few exceptions. Um, mm-hmm. So when um, when you when you have a body of work as well as everything scanned, and if you go to my website, you'll see a good amount of them, but most aren't even up. I've taken a mm-hmm. lot down just because it would bog the machines down when they went sure. to load a page. But um, in the end, when you scan every piece of work you do, that means you have an amazing resource to then make a book from. And for me, that was right. very, very... Uh, um, easy uh, to access and I could just plug and play and from there we picked a design and it alters as you go I don't know I'm sure Jared you could probably attest to this but when you start a design halfway through you realize what you really want to do yeah and and for me the book was no different you get a few pages in and you're like all right I want to make it more like this page so then you go back to all the previous pages you've already manufactured and redesign them Uh, Mm -hmm. so style guiding did you have would be helpful, but <laughs> did you have the book completed um, and fully designed before you decided to jump on to um, Kickstarter? Uh, sort of. Uh, we were nearing the end. Um, we actually had to change manufacturers. So one mm. thing that I would recommend anyone doing making a book out there is pick your manufacturer first and then design your book because <laughs> so many, you know, if you're dealing with a company in China, they might have a color profile or a size that is very good for them. And if you design your book at a weird size, let's say in metric and they're in, you know, American standard or whatever is just design the book after you found the manufacturer, because then you can build it to a price point. You can build it to what they need to make it happen on a cheap level. And we did it the opposite. Like I said, a learning <laughs> moment, but, um, yeah, you know, I digress. Um, once you, once you had all that lined up, what, um, made you choose and want to go with Kickstarter to get your book funded? Well, so much of business as an artist is how much money do you want to put down in something as an investment? Uh, you know, like I, I want to do sculpture. I have a few sculptures that I've taken my 3D talents and transferred them to making 3D sculpts. But I don't really think I'm at a point where I want to plunk down thousands and thousands of dollars to do a run of of you know bronze figurines from a foundry uh where this way i can make them one-off i don't make anything doing it this way but i get to do it and for me art is about having fun doing it and about you know living a fulfilling existence and and so looking at it from an x's and o's standpoint um i definitely didn't you know, I don't think about things in terms of that. So uh, the, keeping the, the risk low by doing a low one-off thing, um, you know, your Zazzle method or something like that or, or some other companies, 
you, you definitely limit your exposure to financial loss. And you know, with the book, we couldn't do that. I mean, you could, but holy moly, you'd make you'd probably spend more money than you <laughs> made. So you know, we 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 had to take a risk. And so the Kickstarter had you know you 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 uh, you take that risk away because if you don't make it, you don't make it. And uh, we were really worried we wouldn't make it. And and they take a very low percentage. And ultimately, one mm. of the nice things about Kickstarter and why I'm using it again for the second printing is that it works as a pre-sale, but it also exposes you to a national website that has people coming on to shop for projects that you know they want to back. And Art Books is right. definitely a, a very nice uh, little uh, follower group uh, of people that go out there and try to find books of artists that they might think they might like, and uh, you take it from there. So uh, you're very good on social media, regardless of what how you feel about it, uh, <laughs> or if it, if it's all your wife. I don't know. I mean, you got a nice website, uh, and and um, you do a lot of videos, which are always great, especially nowadays. Uh, so you're yeah. you're quite out there. Um, what did you do specifically to to promote this Kickstarter the first time and get? Uh, I mean, you right. got a great response. Did you do anything different than your normal routine for this, or? Was it just your audience was hungry for this thing? Yeah, I, I think it's a little of everything that you just asked. I mean, people were asking about books. People love books. I actually had a number of galleries and people say that nobody buys books anymore. And I'm like, huh, all right, well, I have something to tell you. Um, but uh, uh, I, I think we the only thing we did consciously, we, we promoted it, but we were I was my... Uh, more so than my wife, but I'm the anxious one. I was more worried about <laughs> oversaturating. Like mm -hmm. someone who follows me on Instagram does not want to hear about the book two times a day. So, <laughs> so how do you how do you plug a book without oversaturating right. your audience? Like we know the book, we get it. Uh, stop showing it already, and we already bought one. Um, <laughs> so, so that was definitely of a more conscious thing is creating content. You know, I, I see a lot of, of of social media accounts that are just sell, 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 uh, and, um, and they do things actually, uh, not to, to, to get off point, but people do things on social media that makes me scratch my head, like people who vent or play politics or, or do things. It's like, that's not why you're here. That's not why people follow you per se. I mean, mm -hmm. I mean if you're mm -hmm. a political artist, that's one thing, but, um, if, if you're a guy like me and I start venting about one political party or another, people are going to tune out. So I, yes. I see a lot of this stuff and, and I'm just like, you know, we have to be very careful. My wife is probably my biggest asset as an artist because she was in, uh, in PR for one of the large hotels here in Orlando. And nice. uh, she was also in the modeling industry in LA. So she knows a lot of about different things and, and perception and PR and, and that kind of thing. So uh, in a lot of ways, um, that information applied to fine art, social media, or even licensed art, social media, uh, definitely is is helpful. Um, the, the, probably the biggest hurdles we've had were with uh, some of the licensing people who don't want things shown on social media. They want it all buttoned up and released in a big, big, you oh, know, things. Yeah. So like, uh, you know, releasing a work in progress for Star Wars right now is a big no-no for me. Uh, you, you probably won't see me <laughs> posting anything Star Wars because I literally can't. They have yelled at me mm -hmm. a couple times now, and I'm just like, all right, fine. You will get nothing. <laughs> um, 
so uh, how did you get over that? Like you were just mentioning that problem of, of oversaturation or, or, and maybe that's just you being sort of self-conscious of, of how much uh, you're doing it. But did you, did you find a balance? Did you find a solution to that so that you could promote the book twice a day without feeling bad? Yeah. I think using uh, like Instagram stories or Facebook stories where it's just temporary and people who want to see the back of house, which is the way we treat stories a lot is, you know, what am I, what am I dogs doing right now? You know, and again, that goes to the whole enrichment of the person looking for more than just a painting. They're they're looking for the, 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 the person, the atmosphere, the background, the lifestyle, et cetera, et cetera. And I think doing little promotions here and there has certainly uh, bore fruit and, um, uh, you know, like you said, I'm probably self-conscious about how much we posted, but in the end, the proof is in the sales. So I guess we didn't do too bad, but uh, right, exactly. You know, really, exactly. if you want a case study, just look at what we're doing right now, where we have this other Kickstarter, and there's only I think 20 days or 19 days left, and we haven't hit our goal. And I'm like, all right, maybe we should start promoting this a little bit more. I'm like, no, 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 <laughs> stick to the plan, <laughs> yeah, stay right. the course. So. so uh, one more, I have two more questions. Sorry, Mark. We're going to, we're going to wrap here, but I have so many questions. How do you get people to read and, and how much interaction do you do with your social media, with your followers? And do you find that that's necessary? Cause I find people seem to really want to engage. Like yeah. They want to ask a question, even though it's all there in the caption, you know, yeah. it's all there in the post. They still want to ask that question. How sure. much of that are you doing with your social media? I, I try to respond to every message that comes in. And there have been mm-hmm. times like like if you see me, like I was in San Francisco and people are like, you know, tell me this, tell me that. And I'm literally in the middle of a show and I can't respond to them. Uh, yeah. And that's where having my wife come in, take, you know, really helps. But um, in the end, I try to read everything. I try to respond. I, I, I think that if, if I ever get to a point where I think that I'm too good to respond to people who want to interact is the day it all ends. <laughs> right. I agree. That's great. It's funny because it's a different dimension nowadays, I think, than anything I could have planned for. Like, I did not think this is the way it would be where you're sharing so much of your, you know, sure. it's, it's part of your personality, maybe not all of it, but, but an element of it. So before we wrap up though, I wonder if you can tell us a little bit more about the book. It's, it's not just a, a series of pictures. You've put a little bit more into it right. than that. I wonder if you can tell us some of the other things that are in the, the book. Well, I tried to really immerse someone into my work uh, and not even just my works, but my thought process. So, mm-hmm. so what you'll get is a collection of works from start uh, from the, there's 160 pages uh, everything is designed by me, the book, the cover, the dust jacket, everything. But when you get into it, there's stories. Um, there are uh, sketches, which I don't do a whole lot nowadays. I know that sounds weird as an artist, but the sketching process isn't exactly a, an integral part of my my process anymore. I, I kind of sure. dive right in like a, like an ink blot test. You just swirl some paint. You're like, oh, it looks like Mickey's head. I'll do that. Right, um, right. <laughs> but uh, in the end, um, it's 160 pages of of all kinds of things, uh, you know, different techniques. And I know, like you said, people want to know. So I put in, you know, what what kind of brushes I'm using and what kind of, you know, oil paints and this and that. Uh, a lot of people don't realize I'm an oil painter uh, and have read the yeah. book and fully realized it. Um, yeah. And I love it. But 
you know, a lot of people think I do digital, which is kind of a compliment, right. but at the right. same time, it's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> uh, level, yeah. it's, it's no, no control Z here. Um, but, uh, yeah. you know, my, you know, even my background, uh, for how many, I guess eight, 10, I, I wasn't keeping track, but the long time I was in digital has come over with the graphics and, you know, the, you know, the typography and setting things up and composition and layout as a, on a piece of paper rather than the composition of, of paint uh, of subject yeah. matter. Uh, it, yeah. It all translates. I'm, s- I'm sorry to hear you're not sketching as much because you did some amazing <laughs> uh, ballpoint pen sketches yeah. in your cubicle that were just fantastic. So. <laughs> well, I joke well, that I, if I ever do another book, I will just do some just for the book. Just that'd be fun. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a million more questions I have for you, but I know we're running out of time here. So I'll let Mark wrap us up. But uh, I do want to thank you for spending this time. We'll have to have you back because sure. Anytime. Uh, it's such valuable information, I think, for a lot of people out there, too. So thank you very much for talking with us. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you. Yes. Thank you for your time. Um, like we mentioned several times in this interview, if you aren't already a follower of Rob's, um, we will leave a bunch of show notes with links um, so you can get in contact with him. You can give him a follow. You can check out his Kickstarter. Um, he does have one that is still active if you are listening to this. So be sure to go ahead and check that out and become a backer. Yeah. Um, but for now, that is it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, we will see you later. <laughs>